Well, welcome to week two of our parenting series, Having Kids, Raising Kids. And so I, I, I like to think of this as trying to get kids, and then once you get them, what do you do with them? That's what this series is all about. Now, today's message was actually supposed to be last week's message. So if you're hearing this or if you're here last week and you were listening to it and it felt a little out of order, that's because it is. <laughs> but you know what? I was sick. Pink Four filled in. We just flipped the weeks and we rolled with it because around here we are high-risk, low-anxiety people. That's right. Except me when it comes to teaching about parenting because, see, I don't have kids. My sister doesn't have any kids. Thank goodness to Pafo's side of the family, otherwise I wouldn't have any nieces or nephews. And so I have a lot of trepidation about standing up here and talking about parenting. Because who am I to sit and talk to you parents who are living in the trenches every day? Who am I to talk to you about parenting? But thankfully, we have God's eternal word, and I'm bringing in some help for this series. You already heard before, if you were here last week, if not, you definitely need to go up onto our website, riverlifemn.com, or onto our app, uh, or our podcast, and listen to last week's sermon. It was a great one, especially if you have ever struggled with infertility, loss, tragedy, um, it's a great one for you to listen to. But, but for me, it was, so I had to bring her in, because while she doesn't have kids either, she does have a couple decades worth of experience working with families. The other heavy hitter that I'm bringing in, and I am excited about this, is Dr. Ken Caster from Crown College. He is the Associate Professor of Youth Ministry over there, and he's going to be joining us on March, Sunday, March 23rd, to preach and do a workshop after service. So you have got to be here that day. So I'm bringing in a little bit of help to fill out this series. Uh, and so today, today we're going to tackle the question, what's your reason for having kids? What's your reason? Because this is a profoundly important question. Because if you have the wrong answer to this question, it will create hurt, heartache, and disappointment. I know that because I had the wrong answer to this question, and I didn't even know about it. I had completely the wrong answer. See, when before and I got married, we decided to wait a few years before we had kids, and then ab about four years in, we said, okay, it's time now, so we went off birth control and, and all that, and, and we were trying to get pregnant. Well, we didn't get pregnant, and that lasted for months, and months turned into years, and we started seeing doctors and fertility specialists and my mother-in-law and every auntie we have would be coming up with bags of twigs for us to boil and drink. Um, which, by the way, if you've never had those, they taste exactly like what you would expect boiled twigs to taste like. <laughs> Dang, man, they are nasty. And, and this just went on. Fertility specialists and hormone treatments and boiled twigs and roots and gross stuff like that. And that went on. And months turned into years. And, and it got to a point where we had been at this for so long, we were not just frustrated, but I started to get angry. I started to get angry 
that we weren't getting pregnant. Because we had this all planned out. And you see, I figured that if I played the game, if I did what was right, go to school, get a good job, get married, provide for my spouse, have kids, get the, white, the house with the white picket fence. I figured if I did all of that, we should have the kids. But we didn't. I did my part. I started to get angry. And I never realized prior to that that I felt that I deserved kids. Somewhere in my head that had developed, that I deserved children. And when they didn't come, I got really angry. And through this whole process, we prayed, we cried together, we got angry together, we got hurt together. She got asked countless awkward questions from everybody with poor boundaries. And, and we just kept going. And I realized I had to come to grips with this fact that I wanted kids because I felt I deserved them. I played the game. I did my part. Where are my kids? And I got really angry. Because you see, we say all kinds of things about kids when we're, when we're maybe dating, engaged, newly married. We have all kinds of things we say about kids. Uh, oh, I want a big family. Oh, I want at least one boy. Uh, our parents are pressuring us to have kids. Or things like, people don't see me as a valuable Hmong woman until I produce a child. Not me, but before I got that one. Um, or, or things like, I, we want to wait until we're more financially stable. Or we're just letting things happen. If we get pregnant, wonderful. Now, come on, be honest. How many of those things have you said at one point or another? I'm guessing all of us have said one of those at one point or another. And see... There's one thing, there's one thing that was conspicuously missing from all of those things that we say about kids. God. God was absent in every one of those statements. And I think it's really common. I think a lot of us don't even really put God into the equation. I know Pafo and I didn't. We had it all planned out. Or really, I should say, she had it all planned out. Wait four kids, three, have three, wait four years, have three kids, one year apart, boy, girl, boy, boom, boom, boom. Had it all, by the way, and she had all of that planned out. She even had names picked up before I ever even came into the picture. I was completely irrelevant to this, apparently. Well, mostly irrelevant to this. But it's true. We have all of these plans we make when it comes to kids. And often, the best God gets is, oh, yeah, we just went off birth control. We're not doing anything. If we get pregnant, it must be God's will. That's kind of the best God gets in this situation. <laughs> and so to help you put God back into the equation, I want to give you some thoughts. I want to give you some advice. So, first piece of advice, don't just assume kids. Don't just assume kids. See, that's what I did. 
I just assumed kids were part of the package. And I think a lot of us do this. Yeah, we want kids, but not yet. We're waiting a few years. Okay, yeah, it's time. We're going to have kids now. And we just assume it's going to happen when we're ready on our timing, on our planning. And often, this, this idea is rooted in a sense of entitlement. I am entitled to kids. As a living, breathing, married human being, I am entitled to kids. That's certainly how I felt. That's my first piece of advice. Second piece of advice is this. Don't just plan for kids. See, this was before. She had it all worked out, all plotted and chronologized. Is that a word? I don't think so. She had it all worked out. She had it all planned. But obviously, her plans didn't work out. And yes, okay, you obviously have to have family planning, have conversations about birth control and methods and options and all of that. Yeah, I mean, you've got to have those conversations. But don't think for a second that you are the one in control of this. And you know, if you've, if you've ever talked to someone who struggled with infertility, these are usually the first two assumptions to go out the window. Assume kids or plan for kids. And if you've struggled, then you know <laughs> that these aren't true because you probably assumed kids or planned for kids. And if you have never struggled with infertility, you, you, you had kids when you started, you planned and, and you got pregnant and it was awesome and you, maybe you're so fertile you could just look across the room and boom, she's pregnant. Okay. If that's you, then maybe you have never questioned this. It's time we question it. We can't assume kids and we shouldn't just plan for kids. So what's the alternative? Let me give you a, the third one. Discern kids. Discern the question of children. That is a biblical alternative to how most of us approach children. And most people. So what do I mean by discern kids? Quite simply, it's this. Seek God's will for whether you should have kids, when to have kids, and how many kids to have. It's seeking God's will on those questions that we usually answer based on our desires and our goals and our family systems. And so for many, that is a novel concept. <laughs> that is, to some, that might even seem like a ridiculous idea because that's not part of our conversations about kids but it should be. Let, I mean, you're sitting there, let God determine how many kids to have? What are my parents going to say? What are my aunties and uncles going to say? Determine, let God determine when we should have kids? What if we're broke and living paycheck to paycheck and racking up credit card debt? Well, then sign up for Financial Peace University. <laughs> you like how I got that in there? Okay. But, but let, let God drive you. And let God's will drive your decisions. So, I want to take the second half of the message here and talk a little bit about discerning God's will. 
How do we know what God's will for our life is? How can we know God's will? And see, that's the cool part about this, this part is you don't have to be thinking about kids trying to get pregnant or trying kids or, or done with kids. That like Determining God's will should be something that any follower of Christ should be doing. So this is applicable to all of you. In case you're sitting back going, man, like this is not me. I already got three kids and I can't even get rid of those. So if, if that's you, you still have God's will. And by the way, if you have children, it is God's will that you have children. Okay? You can't ask that question anymore. He answered it in the delivery room. Okay? It is God's will that you have children because he gave those children to you. So that's what we're going to talk about. And the way we're going to structure this is I'm going to structure this around uh, questions. Six questions. And each question sort of leads into another question. So six of them. We're going to start with the first question. If you knew God's will, would you actually follow it? I mean, come on. Be honest. I know that sounds kind of harsh, but be honest. If you actually knew God's will, would you follow it? Think about this. If God spoke to you audibly, burning bush, like his will got spelled out in noodles in your bowl of pho, however God spoke to you, but if it was so undeniable, would you even follow it? Or would you stick with your will or your family's will or your desires or your dreams? See, we got to ask that question because a lot of times when push comes to shove, we choose our will over God's. The Bible is full of God's will. Undeniable, clear, obvious. And sometimes we don't even follow that. Because when it gets hard, we break away from God's will. Think about this. Would you actually follow it if your parents would criticize you? If you never heard the end of it from your aunties and uncles, would you follow God's will? If it went against what you had dreamt about your whole life, would you follow God's will? If it went against what you wanted to do in that moment, would you follow God's will? You've got to ask this question. You've got to be honest with yourself. Because a lot of times we don't. We seek God's will in one area while ignoring God's will in others. And that is not a great way to live. And God is not going to be sharing God, his will here if you're already ignoring what he's told you over here. So we have to ask that question. Would you actually follow it? Now, <coughs> can you grab water? <coughs> Excuse me. So, there's one thing, every time you, you, dis, you, you don't follow God's will, you disagree with it, and you do your own thing. Every time you do that, every time I do that, it comes down to usually one or two things. Fundamentally, it's this, that we don't really believe this idea. That God's will is good and right. We follow it when we truly believe this. Good and right. If you ever blatantly disobey God, chances are somewhere inside you, you disagree that God's will is good and, or you disagree with God's will is right. Or you disagree with both. So when you believe God's will is good, 
what you, you believe the idea you, that God isn't withholding something good for you. That's the idea. When we, when we sin, when we do our own thing, when we turn away from God, when we disobey God, we're basically saying, God, you are withholding this from me. So, and I think it's good. I'm going to take it. Because you are withholding something good from me. So for Pengfo and I, it was the decision not to continue the fertility treatments and the processes, all the options that we had ahead of us, pursuing us, to, for us to decide not to pursue having kids. That didn't feel good because we still wanted kids. The truth is, here we are, 25 years into marriage, and we still wish we could have had kids. So it's not like we have loved that fact of our life. But we came to a point through prayer where we believed without a doubt that was God's will. And so we had to acknowledge that he was not holding back something good. He was giving us something good. That's God's will is good. Or the idea of God's will is right. Okay, when you believe this, you believe that there's not a better option out there. That God's will is the right choice. Because again, when we turn to something else, we're basically saying, I think this is the right choice for me. And you say, God, your choice, that's not right. For me, my situation, my family, my culture, my place, my gender, whatever, that's not right. This choice I want to make, that's the right choice. When it comes to kids, uh, it's this idea that that. If God was calling us into a life without children, that that was the right thing. And if we were to have pursued fertility treatments further, that would have been the wrong choice. Because we believe that God's will is right. So God's will is good and right. Now that leads to a couple other questions. How can you know God's will, and how can you know God's will is good and right? Seriously, like how can you really know it's good, and how can you really know it's right? So there is a way to know God's will. If it's kind of a mystery for you, if you're a little confused, you're not sure if, if God really gives his will to people, there is a way to know. And there is a way to be convinced that it is both good and right. So how? How can you be convinced that God's will is better than your will, your feeling, your dreams, your family's wishes for you, your culture's values, the world's values? How can you know that God's will is better than any of that? Well, first, let God shape your thinking instead of the world. Let God shape your thinking. See, you are always being shaped by something. Did you know that? We are all being shaped all the time. The only question is, what are you being shaped by? Who are you being shaped by? That's the question we should be asking. Who are your influences on your life, on your family, on your faith, on your thinking, on your worldview? Who are you being shaped by? What are you being shaped by? Because, see, the reality is we're all being shaped. And you're either being shaped closer to God or you, be, you are being shaped further away from God. And the Bible has this term called the world. 
And it's this collective sense of the worldview of the world apart from God. There's kind of a God worldview and a world's worldview. And that can encompass your culture. It can encompass your family system, your family of origin. It can encompass the movies you watch, the TV you binge, the music you listen to, who you follow on social media. All of that goes into this idea of the world. And it's the worldview apart from God. Because here's the reality. If you let the world shape your thinking, you will end up with the world's will. Let me say that again. If you let the world shape your thinking, you will end up with the world's will. But if you let God shape your thinking, you will end up with God's will. So, We've got, to, we've got to be doing that. We've got to be letting God and his word and his people and his church and his values and his kingdom be shaping our thinking. And that leads us to the next question. How do I let God shape my thinking? How do I let God shape my thinking instead of the world shape my thinking? How do I do that? Well, the answer comes from Jesus' own teaching. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself. What, is that, what does that mean? That's a great Christian-sounding thing, but what does it mean? It means setting aside what you want in the moment and focusing your thoughts and your heart on what God wants for you. You have to take all of those things that you want apart from God, and you've got to sacrifice them. Now, we don't really do sacrifices, with the exception of some of you grew up shaman. You, might, you probably have a familiarity with sacrifices. But in biblical times, sacrifices were very common. Objects were uh, animals, usually were, were sacrificed. They were, they were killed and then often usually burned as a sacrifice of devotion to God. So you've got to take all of those, all of the dreams that you dreamt apart from God, all of your family values that you hold apart from God, all of, all of your things that you love and you cherish and that drive you that are apart from God, and you have to sacrifice those. You've got to put them on the altar and torch it up. You've even got to take yourself and put yourself on the altar You've got to die to yourself and your selfishness. We all have to do that. That is fundamental to the Christian life, and it is fundamental to knowing God's will, is we have to die to ourself. Now, when we die to ourselves, this pleases God. It's actually worship. Because in doing so, we say to God, God, we believe you are worthy of following. We believe you are worthy of dying for. Figuratively and in some cases, in the case of um, martyrs or missionaries overseas, sometimes literally dying for. But that's worship. And it's good, great, and glorious worship. So what does this mean for the question of having kids? You want a big family? Sacrifice it. 
your family or your friends are pressuring you, sacrifice it. You want to wait until you're more financially stable? Sacrifice it. Sacrifice all the things that you decided apart from God. That's dying to yourself. That's letting your will die and letting God's will take over. And that leads us to our last question. Why on earth would we want to do this? Really? Give up all these, my dreams and my hopes and, and my visions, all really give up all of that? Why on earth would I do this for God? And there's a fairly straightforward question or a fairly straightforward answer. It's because God has done so much for us. Because God has done so much for us. If you were a believer in Jesus Christ, here are just a few things that God did for you the moment you believed. You are forgiven of your sins. You are justified, which means the guilt which you were carrying for your sins has been removed. You are adopted into God's family, into his royal family. You have access to God through Christ. You are united with Christ. You are no longer separated from God by your sin. You have been regenerated. You have a new nature. You have been regenerated. And you have been delivered from the power of sin and darkness. That's just a snapshot. I could keep going and going and going of all the things that God has done for you if you are a believer. And if you are not a believer, all of that is waiting for you when you say yes to Jesus. God has done so much. That's why we do this. That's why we sacrifice our will. Because God has done so much for us. So let's summarize. First, we follow God's will when we believe it's good and right. Second, we learn God's will by letting him shape our thinking instead of the world. Okay, third, we have to die to ourselves. For, for any of this to happen, we have to die to ourselves. And fourth, we do this because God has done so much for us. So there's, there's a little bit of a summary. Now, imagine if we could take this and summarize it even more. Maybe split it into just a couple sentences. We can because God's already done it for you. What we've been talking about here is the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it looks like in Scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, this is, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect perfect will. 
Let's read through that one more time. Go back a slide. Let's, let's start back with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So did you notice how God began, how Paul began verse 1 by saying that in view of God's mercy, blah, 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 blah. In view of God's mercy. That's Paul's shorthand to all the things that I just talked about. You've been forgiven, justified, adopted, regenerated, delivered. All of that is Paul's description of God's mercies to us. And what's cool is Paul spent the first 11 chapters talking about these things. And now he says, in view of all that God's done, here's what we do in return. And what do we do? We die to ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves. We, became, we become a living sacrifice. But see, the problem, the problem with us being a living sacrifice is we keep crawling off the altar. We wake up in the morning, okay, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. Uh, maybe not. Let's not do that. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. No, let's not do that. And we just do that over and over and over again. So we have to die to ourselves over and over and over again. We have to let God shape our thinking instead of the world. You conform to the world or allow God to transform you. Then, then we can discover God's will. Then we can discover what God's will is for us in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, with kids. That's how you discern God's will. And it's right there in Scripture. Now, we'll bring the conversation back to the idea of having kids. So it took Papua and I about three years before we ever even asked God the question about whether we should have kids. Three years. Finally, we begin to ask the right question. We were praying the wrong prayer. We began to ask the right question. So save yourself the agony. Save yourself the fights. Save yourself the disappointment. Start asking the questions now. If you are dreaming about having kids, if you're talking about it with your significant other, if you're planning kids, or if you're trying to have kids right now, okay, well, hopefully not right now. That'd be really uncomfortable and illegal in most states. But if that's you, I want to encourage you. Stop, take a breath, and ask God. Ask God the question, should we have kids? When should we have kids? How many kids should we have? 
and just pause to ask God. Bring him into the conversation. God, what's your will for me? And when I close in prayer very shortly, I'm going to give you a chance. For those of you who are in this place right now, I'm going to give you a chance to ask that question. Now, I know that's a scary question. For a lot of us, that's a question we don't want to ask because we're afraid God, will, God won't give us what our dream, what we really want. But see, remember, God is a good father, and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. See, when I tell my story about kids and infertility, there's one line that I, I always include, and it always takes people back a little bit. I say, God has blessed me and Pemphor by not giving us kids. And there's always, a, I, I can tell there's a little bit of, huh? That's not how Christians talk about kids. Kids are a blessing. Nobody ever says not having kids are a blessing. But for us, in God's will, it has been. That God has blessed Pemphor and I by not giving us kids. And it's not just because we get to sleep in as late as we want and our house stays relatively clean, okay? <laughs> Although we do love sleep. <laughs> and we do love a nice, quiet house. <laughs> so in some ways, God has given us what we want. <laughs> but what God has really given us is this ability to bless others in a way we would never do if we had kids. We could be more open with our house, with our stuff, with our time. And we would not have made some of the choices we made to bless other people if we had had kids. Because God has blessed us. And see, that's what happens when you follow God's will. God blesses you. Sometimes with the things you deeply desire. And sometimes with something you never knew that you wanted. But God knew. He is a good father who gives good gifts. We should never be afraid to ask him for his will and to follow his will. Imagine missing out on God's extravagant blessing just because you wanted to do things your way or just because you didn't want your parents to criticize you. Imagine missing out on God's extravagant blessing for you and that's what happens when we do things our way. And we, we either ignore God's will or we don't even ask. Don't just assume kids. Don't just plan for kids. Discern kids. And God will bless you with his answer. We're going to close in prayer. and I'm going to start with a time that if you were in a place of thinking about kids, planning kids, talking with your, your, your significant other, planning, desiring kids, if you are in that place, I'm going to give you some, some silence here to just ask God for his will. And the rest of you, you can pray that God reveal his will to those of, who are in that place right now. So join me in prayer, and, and I'll lead in in a little bit of silence. So, so don't think I'm done or walk out or get awkward. That's all right. We can, we can sit in silence, and then I'll close in prayer. 
God, we pause now, and I pray especially for all of the people out there who are thinking about kids, planning for kids, desiring kids, or trying to have kids. Lord, I pray right now that you reveal your will to them. God, you are a good father, and you give good gifts. I pray that none of us ever fear asking you for your will. Or do you say that, that we can, with confidence, we can boldly approach your throne because of Jesus Christ. And so I pray for all those here who are in the discerning children space. Give them courage that they can approach your throne with confidence and speak to them. Speak to them your will. Lord, and for everyone else, everyone else, I pray that you speak your will to them in all the places that they're wondering about jobs, about families, about um, uh, houses, decisions. Lord, I pray that you speak your will powerfully and boldly. Lord, I pray that for all of us, we can die to ourselves. We can sacrifice ourselves. We can let you transform us instead of the world. Lord, give us the ability to do our part so that you can do your part. You can speak your will. Lord, let us be a church where we, we hear your will and we follow your will. And we know blessings will come from you to us as individuals, as families, and as a church. We thank you that you are a good father who gives good gifts to your children. In your name I pray. Amen.